Today I'm talking with Paul Smith. Paul is the creator of the Lucky Web Framework, and he currently works at GitHub. Today we're going to talk about the Crystal Programming Language and the Lucky Web Framework. Paul, welcome to Software Engineering Radio. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. There are a lot of languages for software developers to choose from. What excited you about Crystal? Yeah, that's really interesting because when I first saw Crystal, I actually was not interested at all. It basically looked like Ruby to me. And so I just think, okay, so it's a faster Ruby. And typically, if I want to learn a new language, I want something that feels really different, that pushes the boundaries on things. I started getting more interested in compile time guarantees. I worked at ThoughtBot previous to GitHub and previous to Heroku. And people were starting to get really into typed languages. Um, some people were starting to get into Haskell, which is like, you know, the <laughs> the big one that I guess is probably one of the more type safe, but also hard to use languages. Right. Um, but also Elm, which has a, a good focus on developer happiness and productivity and explaining what's going on. And as they were talking about how they were writing fewer tests and it was easier to refactor uh, it started becoming clear to me that that's something I want. Uh, one of the things somebody said was, if the computer can check the code for you, let the computer do that rather than you or rather than a test. So I started to get really interested in that. I was also interested in Elixir, um, which is another fantastic language. I did a lot of work with Elixir. I built a library called Bamboo, which is an email library, and another called Ex Machina, which is what a lot of people use for creating test data. Um, so I was really into it for a while. And at first I'm like, wow, I love functional. And then I realized like, I can do a lot of, like a lot of the stuff I like about this, I can do with objects. Mm -hmm. I just need to rethink things so that it uses objects rather than whatever random DSL. Because I mean, when you think about functions, right, like you've got this big bucket of functions and you got to pass in all the parameters, right? Whereas... You know, in a lot of cases, I feel like if you have those instance variables available in the object, then the actual functions can be a lot simpler in, in some ways. Yeah, totally. That's like a huge focus and making the object small so that it doesn't have too much. Mm -hmm. But that's how I began to feel with Elixir is that I'm like, I just have 50 args and most of them I don't care about. Like, I want to look at what's important to this method. To this method, it's, you know, this argument. But with functions, you're like, which thing's important? Is the first thing? Probably not. That's probably just the thing I'm passing everywhere. And so I like that ability to kind of focus in and know like this object has these two instance variables everywhere. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to get your perspective because it seemed like you were pretty deep into Elixir if you had created mm -hmm. Bamboo and Ex Machina and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I was like yeah. way gung ho. Yeah. And, and then I started missing objects. And luckily with Crystal and Ruby, you still get a lot of the functional stuff. Like you can pass blocks around um, as functions. You can use functions. But it's not the other way in Elixir. You can't use objects. Mm -hmm. It yeah. just doesn't exist. <laughs> and then the type safety. Yeah. I'm just like, I still run into so many errors. And it was so frustrating. Yeah. I don't want to ever do that. <laughs> the main benefit I got out of Elixir compared to Rails um, which is what I had been using and still use a lot of, was speed. That was really big. In terms of bugs caught, about the same. 
mostly because it's still, a, for the most part, dynamically typed language with very few compile time guarantees. Um, so I'd still get the nil errors. I'd still mess up calls to different um, functions and things like that. And so that's where I ran into Crystal. It has the nice syntax I like from Elixir and Ruby. It's also very, very fast. Faster than Go in some benchmarks. So it's quick, plenty fast right, for what right. I need. And it has those compile time guarantees like checking for nils. That's a huge one. And it also makes the type system very friendly. So it does a lot of type inference and very powerful macros so you can reduce some of the boilerplate. And so that's when I kind of started getting into Crystal was seeing Elixir. I still got a lot of these bugs that I was running into with Rails, but I like the speed. But I don't want to use Haskell and Elm doesn't exist on the back end. So I started looking at Crystal. Mm -hmm. And so it sort of sounds like there's this spectrum, right? You have Ruby and you have Elixir where you don't necessarily specify your types. So the mm -hmm. compiler can't help you as much. And then you've got Haskell, which is very strict, right? You have a compiler that helps you a lot. And then there's kind of languages in between, like, for example, Java and C Sharp and things like that. They've been around for quite some time. How does Crystal sort of compare to languages like those? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I did look at some of those other ones. TypeScript, for example, is, is huge. Kotlin was another one that I had looked at because it's Java, but better, basically. That's <laughs> the way it's pitched. And so far, everyone that's used it has basically said that. And also looking at Rust. What it came down to was how powerful was the type system. So Crystal has union types, which can be extremely helpful. Um, and it catches nil. Java does not have a good way to do that. Um, Kotlin does. But also boilerplate and the macro system. Crystals is extremely powerful. Elixir also has a very powerful macro system, but Crystals is, is type safe, which is mm. even more fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, so basically what that let me do with Lucky was build even more powerful type safe programs. And, and we can kind of get into that once we, we talk about Lucky and how that was designed. Um, but basically with these other languages, a lot of what we do in Lucky just simply wouldn't be possible or wouldn't be possible without a significant amount of work and duplication. You covered a few things there. One of the things was macros. What, what are, are macros? Yeah, this is like a confusing thing. It took me a while to, to get um, what it is. But uh, in Ruby, for example, they have ways of, of metaprogramming that are not done at compile time. For most compile time languages, compiled languages, I should say, you need macros to deduplicate thing. And, and basically what a macro does is it generates code for you. The way I think about it is basically you've got a method or, or it's a macro, but it looks like a method. It has code inside of it. And it's like you're copy pasting whatever is inside of that macro into wherever you called it from. So in other words, Rails has a has many, like has many users, has many tasks. That's generating a ton of, of code for you. So that's how Ruby does it. Um, in Crystal, has many would be a macro, and it would literally generate a ton of code and copy paste that into wherever you called it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a way to reduce boilerplate. 
So in the case of dynamic languages like Ruby, when you talk about metaprogramming, that's having, I guess, a function that is generating code at runtime, right? And yes. the macro is sort of doing something similar, except it's generating that code at compile time. Is that kind of the distinction? That's the way I look at it. There are people much smarter than me that probably have a more specific answer about what the differences are. But in my mind, in, in practical usage, that's what it comes down to mm -hmm. in my mind. Mm -hmm. Let's say there's a problem in that code. Mm -hmm. What do you get shown in the debugger? Debugging macros is definitely harder than debugging your regular code <laughs> for that exact reason. It is generating a code. So what Crystal does, uh, there's different ways of doing this, but I like Crystal's approach. It'll show you the final result of the code, and it'll point to the line in the generated code that caused the issue mm. and tell you which macro generated it. Now, it's still not ideal because that code isn't code you wrote. It's code that the macro generated. Right. But it does allow you to see what the macro generated and why it might be an issue. Part of that can be solved by writing error messages and error handling as part of the macro. So in other words, making sure if you're expecting a string literal, you can have a check at the top that checks for it to be a string literal. I wouldn't use them by default, but it's great for, I think, a framework where you have a lot of boilerplate -y things that you're literally typing in every single model or every single controller um, and that people kind of get used to, that's well-tested, that has nice error messages. In my own personal code, though, I pretty much never use macros. They're only in the libraries that I write. Another thing you mentioned is how Crystal helps you detect nils or, or nulls. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. how, does, how does the language do that? It actually uses union types for that. Some languages that have this, they'll have an optional type, which is basically a wrapper around whatever real type, like an optional string or an optional int. And you have to unwrap it. The way Crystal does it is you would say string or nil. And there's a little bit of syntactic sugar, so you can just say string with a question mark at the end. But that gets expanded to string or a nil type. Um, so then within that method, the compiler knows that this could be a string, could be a nil. And there's a little bit of sugar there where the compiler, if you say if, whatever variable you have, it's going to know that within that if, it is not nil. And in the else, it is. So there's a little bit of sugar there as well. Um, but that's basically how they handle it. And there are ways to force the compiler, uh, just say, hey, this thing is not nil. You can call not nil on it. That's a little, I would avoid that because maybe the compiler's right and it really is nil. Mm. <laughs> or maybe you change the method later and then it can become nil and you're going to get a runtime error there. But it does have those escape hatches because sometimes you just need the quick and dirty and you can if you need mm -hmm. to. As long as you don't tell the compiler that, then you will actually have a compiler error if you have a method that takes in, let's say, some type of object or a, a nil, and then you don't account for the fact that like it could be nil, then the compiler actually won't let you compile. Is that correct? That is correct. So for example, if you just had a method that's like print email, and it accepts a user or nil. I'm not saying I would do that, but let's say that it does. And you just tried within that method to do user 
dot email to print the user's email. Um, it's going to fail and tell you that nil does not have the method email. And so you need to handle that. Yeah, you're forced to either do an if, or for example, you can use try, which is basically a method that says call, call a method on this object, unless it's nil. If it's nil, just return nil. Um, but yes, it, it kind of forces you to, to do that. And, and Crystal, how do you handle errors? Because a lot of different languages, they'll have things like exceptions, or they may have result types. What's sort of the, the main way in Crystal? I'd say I'd group it into two types of errors, where you have runtime exemptions still, because things do break. Not everything is in a perfect world inside your type system. Databases go down, you know, Redis falls over or whatever. So you still have runtime exceptions. Uh, and then you have the compile time errors, which we kind of just talked about. Um, but in terms of how those runtime exceptions are handled, it's I don't want to say exactly the same as Ruby, because there probably are some subtle differences, but extremely similar to Ruby, and that you're not passing around errors. It's, so it's not like Go, where you are explicitly handling errors at every step. Um, you raise it, and you can rescue that error, kind of like a try-catch in other languages. And you can also just let it bubble up and rescue at a higher level, which I personally prefer because not every error is something that I care about. And kind of forcing me to handle every single error everywhere means that it is harder as a reader of the code to tell which errors I should care about because they're all treated as equal. So I like that in Crystal, I can say this particular error, and this particular method I want to handle in a special way. And somewhere up above the stack, I can just say anything else, just print a 500, log it, send it to Sentry. Yeah, so it's very similar to, like you said, Ruby or any other language that primarily relies on exceptions. Like I, I think Java, yeah. for example, probably falls into the same category. Probably. I haven't used it in quite some time, but I imagine it would be similar. You had mentioned that, that Crystal was like pretty fast compared to other languages. What are the big benefits you've gotten from that raw speed? The biggest benefit, I would say is not having to worry so much about rendering times. In Rails, for example, you can spend a ton of time in the view. Even though everyone says databases are slow, they're not that slow. In something like Rails, active record takes a huge amount of time to instantiate every single record. So how does this play out in real life? You could, for example, in Lucky, if you wanted to, load a thousand records and print them on the page and probably do that in a couple hundred milliseconds, maybe, which is a totally reasonable uh, response time. The same thing in Rails would be many seconds, which is not reasonable, in my opinion. And, and this can be really helpful, partly because um, it just means your apps are faster. People are getting the responses quickly, but also because you have a lot more flexibility. I've built internal tools where they want to have the ability to search all of the inventory or products or whatever else, and they want to have like a select all or you know be able to select everything. And in Rails, you can't just render all 1,000 products because it basically falls over. And you can try and cache stuff, but then that gets complicated. Um, so you kind of have to paginate. But when you paginate, that makes it hard 
to select things across multiple pages. So then you need some kind of JavaScript to remember which ones you selected across pages. And it just balloons the complexity, right? If you know, hey, we only have eight or 900 products, we're not gonna suddenly have 20,000. In Lucky, you just render them all, put them all on the same page, give them all check boxes, and it's in the user's hands in 200 milliseconds, and you're done. You just removed most of that complexity. So those are some of the ways that that speed is playing out. And I think one key difference there is some people think speed is just about scalability, how many people can be using this. The speed improvements I care about are the ones where even if you have one request per day, I want that request to be insanely fast. And so that's kind of what you're getting with Lucky and Crystal. When you talk about web applications, you know, with Lucky being a web framework, a lot of people point out that a lot of the work being done is IO, right? It's talking to the database, it's making mm -hmm. network calls. But I guess you're saying that rendering that template, those are things that actually having a fast language, it really does make a big difference. It does, yeah. I I think the whole database IO thing, a lot of times that's what people say when they're working with a slow language. Mm. If you have a fast one, it's not as big of a deal. Because this was the same with Phoenix and Elixir. Like I, I loved how quickly it could render HTML. That was huge. And like you said, that opens up options in terms of not having to rely on caching or pagination mm -hmm. or things like that. Yeah, this is huge. I mean, an example from work, we just announced GitHub discussions. Um, and I'm on that team. And one of the big things we were trying to get working was was performance of the discussions show page. You could have hundreds of comments on that page. And we were finding that most of the time taken was actually spent rendering the views and calling methods on the different objects to render things differently in the seconds. And we can't cache those reliably because there are so many different ways to show that data. If you're a moderator, you get certain buttons. If you're an unverified user, like someone who just signed up, you see a different thing. If you're not signed in, you see a different thing. And so you can't reliably cache those. And we had a lot of cool techniques to kind of get that down, but this is something that if this were written in Lucky, uh, it just would not have been an issue. Mm -hmm. and, and GitHub in particular is written in Ruby, is that correct? It is, yeah, it's, it's using Ruby on Rails. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to knock Rails. I I really love Rails. I mean, I've been using it for 12 years. Um, I like Ruby. Uh, but hey, if there's something that could be even better, I'm open to that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you have used Rails for 12 years. How would you say that your productivity compares in Ruby versus in Crystal? I think that's tricky. It's kind mm. of better and worse. And what I mean by that is, I think Crystal, I'm, I'm more productive in Crystal. You do have compile times, and we can talk about that. They're not the fastest, they're not the slowest, but I do find that I can write more code and then compile once, and it kind of just tells me where the problems are. And I have a lot more confidence. And I spend a, le a lot less time banging my head on like, why isn't this thing working? And it's because I passed the wrong type somewhere. However, Ruby has a massive ecosystem. So, there are things that exist in Ruby that I would have to rewrite in Crystal. And so that, for sure, no matter how productive I am in Crystal, is not as productive as 
requiring the gem and then just using it. So the hope with Lucky, though, is that we're building up enough things that you don't have to be rewriting everything. And the community's also really stepped up in writing a number of libraries that are super helpful for web development. Um, for example, somebody just wrote webdrivers.cr, which makes it so that it can automatically install the version of Chrome driver that matches the version of Chrome that you have installed. So you don't have to manage that at all. That's something that was in Ruby for a while and will be in Lucky probably in the next release. So yeah, I think it's better. It's one of those things that will get better with time. So in terms of the actual language productivity, Crystal, it sounds like basically a, a net positive, but it's more in the, yeah. the community aspect and in how many libraries are available. That, that's where a lot more time gets taken. I think so. And then just the initial ramping up. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a new language. And so there aren't as many Stack Overflow questions and answers. Right. <laughs> um, there aren't as many tutorials. So there's definitely some things there. That, but like I said, those are things we're working on, especially for 1.0 of Lucky. Try and make sure we have really good guides, uh, really good error messages. We tried to borrow a little bit from Elm. Not specific error messages, but just the idea that an error message should raise something human readable and understandable, and if possible, help guide them in the right direction of what they probably want to do, or at least point them to documentation to make it easier. So we're trying to help with that as much as, as we can. I kind of want to move into next more into your experience building Lucky. You know, you were a Rails developer for many years. And are there any like specific major pain points, I guess, in, in Rails or in your previous web development experience that you wanted to address with Lucky? Yeah, there were um, some more specific than others, um, some easier to solve in the sense that the solution is like it works or it doesn't and others that are a little bit more uh, abstract. So I'll, I'll talk about some of the specific things. I often said that I'm into type safety. I don't think that is quite true. And I think it, especially if you haven't used Lucky, it just doesn't click what that means or why it matters. Cause you just think like, Oh, so, you know, it'll tell me if I pass an integer instead of a string, like who cares? I'm not seeing those kinds of errors. What I'm most interested in is compile time guarantees, whether that's with a type or some other mechanism. And that's there not just to prevent bugs, but to help you as a developer to spot problems right away and give you a nice error so you know what to do about it. So for example, one of the things that I've seen in basically every framework I've ever used, regardless of whether it is type safe or not, is that you need to use an HTTP method, a verb, and a path. So for example, if you want to delete a user, you would have forward slash users, forward slash one to be the ID. The tricky part is you have to have the HTTP method delete for it to do the delete action. But sometimes you forget that. You use a regular link and you wonder why the heck it just keeps showing you this thing instead of deleting it. Or the particularly insidious one is when you have a update and a create. One uses post, one uses put. If you have an update form and you forget to put the method put, you get all kinds of routing errors because it says, hey, this doesn't exist. 
And you want, well, why? Why doesn't this exist? I can see it right here. I've got the route. I've got everything. Oh, it's because I forgot to put the HTTP method is a put. And it just wastes time. So that's one of those things where we wanted to compile time guarantee in Lucky. And so I don't want to go too in-depth here, but basically what we did was we made every controller into a single class that handled the routing and also the response. If I understand correctly, when you have a page and you want to link to a specific user on that page, then you would use this this function link to, and mm-hmm. you would pass in the class that mm-hmm. corresponds to showing a user. And then you would pass parameters into that function, like, for example, mm-hmm. the ID of the user. And if you didn't do that, then you would have an error at compile time, not correct. You, you wouldn't need to like start the website and then go to the page and, and have it mm-hmm. basically explode, which I guess is typically what you would expect from most web yeah. frameworks. Or what's worse, it wouldn't explode. It mm. would just generate the wrong link. Right. <laughs> and you would have to remember to click that link or write an automated test that clicks that link. Uh, so it's really easy for bugs to sneak in. Um, and this just completely prevents that class of bug as well as just makes life easier because if you forget a parameter while you're developing from the start, instead of just generating something with like a nil ID, it's going to say, Hey, you forgot this. It just saves a lot of debugging time. And I think it's also more intuitive. If you've ever used rails helpers or Phoenix, help any of these and the conventions like it's a singular, is it plural? Is it, does it have the namespace? Does it not have the namespace? And lucky that it's gone. You just call the action. The one that you created, you call that exactly as is. It sounds like this is maybe a little more explicit, I guess. Yeah, it's a little more explicit, but I hesitate. I've heard a couple things in the programming community. Um, one, the rail started is convention over configuration which that was huge because you had to learn the convention, but at least once you did, you knew how all the other Rails projects were. And then another one I hear is explicit over implicit. I don't buy into either of those in particular um, because sometimes implicit's better, sometimes explicit's better. I mean, for example, as a quick example, I don't hear anyone arguing to bring back the old objective C where you had to manually reference and dereference memory. That is technically more explicit, right? but does anyone want to do that? No. So I don't think explicit over implicit. You have to think about it. Everything needs to be judged in its own context. And what I think is even better than convention over configuration is intuitive over conventions, meaning You don't even think about it. You don't even need, there doesn't need to be a convention because you're literally just calling the thing that you created like anything else. There's nothing special about that. It's a class, just like any other class. And you call a method on it, just like any other method. I think it's tricky because I think it's also easy to say explicit over implicit and make your code super hard to follow. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, it's more explicit. But also, I just wrote 20 lines of code instead of one. And those 20 lines could differ because I do it differently than the other guy or girl. Another thing about Lucky that's a little different is that for templating, instead of having 
somebody write HTML and embedding language code in it, uh, you instead have people write crystal code. So could you kind of explain sort of why you made that decision and what the benefits are? Yeah, sure. So a lot of things actually with Lucky kind of I did not want to do or were definitely not how I started doing things. And it just kind of moved in that direction based on the goals. And and I think that's part of what makes Lucky different is that we don't say, here's how I want to do it. We say, here's what I want to do. And I want it to be easy, simple, and bug-free. So what we started with was using templating languages just like you'd use in almost any anything, where you write your HTML um, and then you interpolate values in it. At the time I wrote Lucky, and this may be changed now, you could not use a method that accepted a function or a block, is what it would be called in Crystal, and have that output correctly in the template. I think it just blew up. I don't remember. This was two years ago, three years ago. The other problem I was having was it's not just a template. Any bigger size framework also has partials or you know fragments or includes or whatever you want to call it. It also has layouts where you can inject different HTML and different parts of your HTML layout. And those are all things that... A person has to learn when they're learning your framework. What are these methods called for generating a partial or for calling a partial or injecting stuff in, in different layers of the layout? And it's also more stuff that I have to write. And with Lucky, like there was already a lot to write. We were building the ORM and the automated test drivers and the router and like everything. So I, I can't afford to just do stuff like everyone else does it if it's not pulling its weight. So eventually I started experimenting with building HTML using classes and regular crystal methods. Some of the requirements um, for me when I was building it was it had to match the structure of HTML. And it had to be very easy to refactor, meaning I can pull something out into a new method and it just works. So easy refactoring. And then I also need to be able to do layouts with it. The reason for that is Elm also uses code to generate HTML. However, it is not approachable to a newcomer. If for example, you have a designer and they pull open an Elm file and try and look at what that, what that generates, no way. I mean, I'm a programmer. I still don't know what it generates without really looking through Elm. And that's partly because you are generating data objects. So arrays of arrays or maps or whatever else. So I didn't want that. It has to be approachable to people and look and be structured like HTML. Um, and so we actually were able to do that. I, I don't know if I need to go into huge detail, but basically you can say, hey, I want a div. Inside of that, I want an H1. Underneath that, I want another div. And you're not building arrays and maps and anything else. What that provides is actually a lot of things that I did not think of. One, super easy refactoring. If you have a link in a particular page and you don't want to copy that over and over and over, extract a method. And you call it like any other method. There's nothing to learn. It's just a method like anything else. It can accept arguments just like anything else. 
your conditionals work, you can extract that into a component, which is basically another class. And it tells you explicitly, here's what I need to run, and it renders the thing. You always have the correct closing tag. I have been bitten so many times by shifting stuff around and forgetting a closing tag, and my whole page looks wonky, and I have to go through layers of indentation. That just doesn't happen. If you forget an end, so you would have a do end when you're creating these blocks, it blows up. It's like, hey, you're missing one. And the coolest part is you just add an end in there and you run the crystal formatter and it re-indents everything perfectly. And then on top of that, if that wasn't enough, like I just loved how easy it was to refactor and use, you don't have to split up your code from your template. Like in Rails, you would have a helper. So you've got like, here's your template, but then you might have a helper in a totally separate file. If you've got something that pertains to just that page, you can just extract a method. It's right there. But this also made it so we can do layouts without any special work. Your layout is basically a class. You would say, here's my class with the head. It renders the head, it renders the HTML body or whatever. And then it calls a content method or a sidebar method or whatever else. And your page, so if you wanted to render a list of users, inherits from that class and implements a content method or a sidebar method. And so when that's rendered out, it just calls those methods. So we got all of that for free. If you look at our view rendering code, it's 50 lines because basically we use a macro and give it a list of tags, like you know, paragraph, h1, h2, whatever, and generate a bunch of methods and, and that's basically it. So from an implementation perspective, it's extremely simple. Um, plus you get all these niceties around refactoring is super easy. Um, it's super easy to tell what a page needs to render. At the top of the page, you just say, you know, I need a user, I need a paginator, I need a current user. So you know what that page needs. You don't get that with a template. And you get all the power of Crystal for rendering layouts however you want. That all basically came for free. So it was kind of a happenstance that templates weren't working. <laughs> and this just worked out better. People... A lot of people, when they see this, are like, what the heck is this? I hate it. And I always just say, just give it a try. Just give it a try for a little bit. So far, one person has said, like, okay, I don't like it. And you can use templates if you want. We've actually built that in. But everybody else is like, now that I've used it, I love it. What it sounds like is in a lot of JavaScript frameworks, for example, like React, there's this concept of components, right? And mm -hmm. so you can create what looks like new HTML tags, but really has other HTML in it. Like, let's say you have a, a list of uh, businesses and maybe you have a component that would have all the business details in it. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds like in the case of Lucky, you kind of can do the same thing. It's just that your component would be in the form of a crystal class. And so there isn't any new syntax and you're not mixing different languages like you're not mixing html and javascript instead everything is just using crystal exactly you have two options you can extract a private method because sometimes it's just a small thing you want to extract only used by one page just do a method if not uh, extract a class and the cool part about all of this is that 
you don't need to restructure anything. Meaning you can start with everything in one method, in your content method, and then you pull out just a little bit into a private method. And then if that's not enough, cool, pull that out into a class. So you're not forced into just pulling out classes all over the place if you don't need one. It, it really worked out kind of really well because it also makes testing easier. You can pull out a class component that just does one thing, and you can instantiate just that component mm -hmm. and test just that HTML. And once again, this is very easy because it's a class. You call it and run it like any other class. And so that's been a big goal of Lucky is try to reduce. And this also comes down to the whole like convention over configuration is how do we just make it so there is no convention? It's just intuitive. Like if you know how to extract and refactor a crystal class, you know how to extract and refactor stuff for a page in mm -hmm. Lucky automatically. Um, and I mean, of course, there's still some degree of learning and experimentation, but it's the same paradigms. If you want to include methods in multiple pages, use a module, just like any other module. So that was very much a goal. And that's part of uh, other parts of Lucky. For example, querying. In something like Rails, the model is for creating, updating, reading, everything. In Lucky, you do create a model, and we use macros to actually generate other classes for you. But you have a query object that is a class. What am I passing into my query object? What does that look like? Let's say you have a user. By default, it generates a user colon colon base query. So basically, you have this new object namespaced under the model. And by default, the generators generate an, uh, another file. And basically what that does is it creates a new class called user query that inherits from that user base query class. What you would do in your controller or action or anywhere, uh, say user query dot new. By default, that just gives you a new query that would query everything in the database. Unless, of course, you overrode initialize and did something else, then it would use that scope. So if you wanted to further filter down, you would call, for example, if you wanted the name to be Paul, it would be user query dot new dot name parens Paul as a string. Because Lucky generates methods for every column on the model with compile time guarantees. So if you typo that method, it's going to blow up. If you rename the column later, it's going to blow up. If you accidentally give it nil, it's going to blow up and tell you to use something else. But that's how you would do it. You say dot name is Paul. Or uh, we also have type-specific criteria methods. You can do things like dot age dot gt for greater than 30. And so you have this very flexible query language that's all completely type-safe. So in your scopes, if you wanted to do something like recently published for a post, inside that method, you would do something like published at dot gt for greater than one dot week dot ago. And you can chain that. So you could do postquery.new dot recently published dot authored by Paul or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's basically how it works. You just have these methods that are chained that you can build upon in pretty much any way you want. In a lot of 
applications now, people use JavaScript frameworks, whether it's mm -hmm. React or Vue or Angular. What does integrating with JavaScript libraries and frameworks look like in Lucky? I think easier than a lot in the sense that you can generate a Lucky project with different modes. So when you initialize a project, you can use just the command line with some flags, or the default is to walk you through a wizard, which will say, do you want API only? In which case, you know, it won't even have HTML pages. Or the default, which is a full app. What that does is it generates Webpack config for you. It sets up your public assets and images so that they can be copied and fingerprinted. And so out of the box, it already has a basic Webpack setup for you that handles CSS. Um, it handles most of your ES6 JavaScript type stuff that people typically like. That's just handled out of the box. If you want to include React or Vue, you would include that just like any other Webpack project in terms of building it. Um, and it's actually a little simpler. We use Laravel Mix on top of Webpack, which is basically a thin JavaScript layer that calls Webpack underneath the hood. If you want a full single page app, that's also totally supported. Um, you would basically have just one HTML page that you know has the basic HTML and body tags, and within that mounts your app. So whatever that is for your language in Vue, it might be just a tag that's like main app. And then in your JS, you would initialize um, that tag with your app. And we have fallback routing so that you can do client-side routing if you want. It's not particularly well-documented, <laughs> which is the biggest problem. Um, some people are helping with that because a number of people have done React and Vue. And so... Um, Hopefully those will be fleshed out a little bit more, but it's totally supported. In the long term, though, we've got plans to make it so you don't even need those types of frameworks quite as much. Hmm. Since we already have class components and a bunch of other things, uh, I'm working on a way to add type-safe interactivity to HTML. Hmm. So you're not writing the JavaScript. You're writing Crystal for the most part. And it can interface with JavaScript and you can run, you know, use React and Vue inside of it. But a lot of your simple open close, if anything like that is going to be handled client side, but written with Crystal. And server interactions will also, those will be sent over an Ajax request, but will also be type safe when you call the actions and do all the HTML rendering. Similar to Livewire for Laravel or Live View by Phoenix, but with some some differences. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not done yet, but it will be, and I think it's going to be really exciting. I've got a proof of concept up locally, and uh, it's really awesome. We had a previous episode on on Live View, and I think the possibilities of of things like that are really interesting. Of, of being able to not have to have this sort of separation between your JavaScript front end and your server backend yet still be able to have the kind of interactivity people expect. Yeah, I think it could be cool. And that's also where speed comes into play. When you're doing interactions like that, you, you don't want to wait even 100, even 50 milliseconds is noticeable for those types of interactions. And so Phoenix, also fast, really fast template language, uh, basically gets compiled down to Elixir. 
And so that helps a lot. Um, I do think there's some big flaws that I've seen in some other implementation. Well, I don't want to say flaws. That sounds a little overly harsh, but things that I personally are just deal breakers for me. And one of those is some client-side interactions have to be instantaneous. They just have to be. If I click on my avatar in the top right, I expect the menu that has settings and logout to be instant. If there's any kind of latency in the network and it takes 200 milliseconds even, that's going to be a weird interaction Mm -hmm. and it's going to feel like your app is broken. And of course, that's exacerbated by people not in your country. This is another problem. People are doing these things, deploying servers in their own country. Mm -hmm. Put a VPN in front of your computer in Australia (laughs) or (laughs) even the UK, 400 milliseconds. That's just, you can't do that for a settings menu or for opening a modal. And so there needs to be some way to do those interactions instantaneously. Livewire by Laravel, the same guy that wrote it, built Alpine.js, which is kind of, it looks a little bit like Vue, but it doesn't have a virtual DOM. It operates with the the DOM that you generate. That's what it uses for client-side interactivity. So you can do the server side stuff, which, I mean, if latency's there, if you're submitting a comment, look, there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. You've got to hit the server. Right. But if you're opening and showing something, a, a menu, a tab, a modal, that's instantaneous and is handled by Alpine. So mm. Lucky's actually going to use that along with our own server rendered stuff to do client side interactions instantaneously. So Al- Alpine, it's a JavaScript front-end framework, you said, similar to Vue, without the virtual DOM. And mm-hmm. it sounds like what you're planning is to be able to write crystal code and have that generate Alpine code. Is that right? That's correct, because it's mostly inline. And it can't do everything. But most of what I want from client-side interactions are typically super simple things. Mm-hmm. I want to open and close something. I want to show tabs. And those are things that Alpine's incredibly good at because you don't need a separate JavaScript file. Mm -hmm. We can just generate something that says it uses X as its kind of modifier. X dash click toggle the thing true or false. Toggle open to true or false. And Mm -hmm. X if or X show and then if it's open or not. Uh, Those are things that we can very easily generate on the back end and make type safe because we can say you know, this has to be a Boolean and here's the action and all those things are then type safe, but you can still do JavaScript if you want. So you can still use JavaScript functions in there with your Alpine if you need to. Yeah. That just sounds like the distinction between that and like a live view or a live wire is that my understanding is with those solutions, you're shipping over basically diffs in your HTML and that's how it's determining what to change. Whereas you're saying like you may still have some of that, but there's certain Mm -hmm. interactions where you just want to run JavaScript locally on the person's client and you should still be able to do that. Even if you are doing this sort of sending diffs over the wire for other things. Yeah, exactly. Um, Alpine's made for that. The biggest, the biggest key differentiator between LiveWire, LiveView, is the type safety. All those nice things that you get in Lucky, 
you're going to get also for your client side interactions. So if you have an action and you have a typo or something, it's going to blow up. It's going to mm-hmm. tell you if you forget something, if you miss the wrong type. I mean, and this is something that's very hard in the front end world because you either have to run an automated test to make sure you catch these or the worst, you have to open up the console because like, why isn't this working? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now we have to dig into the console. It's not even where you typically want to see logs. And so being able to shift that to where you're used to seeing errors and mm-hmm. uh, before you even have to open the browser, I think that's going to be a huge deal. I think on the, the server side, testing is pretty well understood in terms of, you know, especially if you have API endpoints or you have just regular server code, like people know how to test that. But on the client side, there's like so many different ways of doing it, it feels like. And a lot of them involve spinning up browsers and get kind of complicated. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if you can shift more of that to the the server environment that a lot of people are used to. Yeah, I I think it'll be cool. We'll, We'll see how it goes. And yeah, I do think there's definitely complexity that comes with moving it to JavaScript, especially if you have a single page app, because then you need to spin up an API. You need the mm-hmm. the server and an API when you use your Cypress tests or whatever. Or a lot of people mock the API, which sometimes is fast, but can get out of sync, mm-hmm. in which case you lose confidence in your tests. So having it in one spot is I think really great. And and we do have the capability to run browser tests. That's built into Lucky because I think it is still good to have at least a couple smoke tests for your critical paths to test the happy path. Um, But I mean, if you can write fewer of those, that's great because they take forever to run. For sure, yeah. In Lucky, there's a lot of features that in other frameworks would be not usually be included. Like for example, there's authentication. You have this setup check script to see if your app has all of its dependencies, things like that. I wonder if you could sort of explain sort of how you decided what sorts of features should exist in the framework versus being something that you leave to the user to decide. I think things, if there's no downside for one thing, if there's no downside, only upside, and almost everyone would benefit from it, I want to include it. So that's, for example, the system check script. Um, We also have a setup script, and that's what we tell people to use instead of saying, like, first install Yarn and then run your migrations and blah, blah, blah. Now, our documentations don't even mention that. It's like run script setup. Um, And the idea there is it, it serves as kind of a best practice. It kind of pushes you into things to say, like, hey, put stuff that you need in here. Then we layered on the system check, which also runs before setup. And also every time you boot the development environment, where it'll check, hey, do you have a process manager, which you need. It'll check whether Postgres is installed and running because that's required. So if you go back to kind of that criteria, it's useful to pretty much everyone. Meaning, like if Postgres isn't running and the app's not going to work, everyone would need to know that. And it doesn't really have a downside. If you don't want it for whatever reason, you just delete it or stop running it. That's not a huge downside. That's like, you know, one click. So that's part of why that's included. I don't like spending time on things that aren't delivering actual real value. So I don't like spending time 
figuring out why my local environment is not working or why it was working and now it suddenly isn't. And with something like a system check, that makes teams happier in the sense that let's say all of a sudden adds somebody adds a new search capability and it requires Elasticsearch. And I do a git pull from master, do my feature. As soon as I boot the app, if they've added something to system check that says, hey, you need Elastic, it's going to tell me. It's not going to just blow up. It's going to be like, hey, you need Elasticsearch now. Install that and run it. These are the types of things that I really think are going to save a lot of time. In terms of auth, that's another one of those where it's like so many people want it. And it should be easy and simple and not like five different ways to do it. But not everyone wants it, which is why we made it optional. You choose in the wizard, like if you don't want auth, fine. I'd guess that most people generate it with auth. I know I do because I need it. And the thing is, we also changed how auth works in the sense that it's mostly generated code. It's not just a bunch of calls to some third-party library. So what that means is it is easy to modify. So if you want to add email confirmations or invitations or anything else like that, you're not mucking around in some third-party library. It's code generated in your app that you can see and modify. So it doesn't lock you into anything. It's very flexible and it helps you get off the ground running. And that's why that was included. Uh, and I'm sure we're going to have other stuff that may be included or at least an option of being included in the future. Yeah, I think one of the conversations that people are having now is particularly in the JavaScript ecosystem, you end up pulling in a lot of different dependencies, you end up having to make a lot of different decisions. And so it's interesting to sort of see Lucky kind of move back in, in the direction of, say, a Rails of trying to kind of include the things that you think probably most people building an app are going to need. Yeah, it's a little more in that direction. I think on the flip side, Rails is starting to include so much that people are starting to get mad almost. Mm -hmm. And it's like <laughs> so much that you're like, what is this? What is happening? So we want to strike a balance there. And so part of that is being very careful about mm -hmm. what is included. I think some of the things that are included in Rails could just as easily be added after the fact, meaning 20 minutes of work and you can add it. Those are the types of things I probably would not include in Lucky. If it's 10, 20, 30 minutes to you know add it and modify your app and only 50% of people even want it, mm -hmm. we're probably going to just say, here's a guide on how to do it and make it easy, but not do that as a generator, if that makes sense. What's an example of, of something like that that would be pretty easy to add in after the fact and doesn't necessarily need to be included? Um, well, in Rails 6 that's coming up, they have this action mailbox thing that handles inbound emails. I'm pretty sure by default that is included. I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that, but I've been <laughs> seeing a lot of Twitter stuff lately of people being super pissed about it, so I think it's there. Mm -hmm. That's something I definitely wouldn't include because I think I've written one app ever that uses inbound emails. Mm -hmm. I mean, GitHub does too, but I, I have not written that and a lot just don't have that so it's odd to include it especially given the fact that it's not particularly hard to set up yourself uh, i think based on on what i've seen or action text is another one where it has ways of 
making rich text editing easier. That might be something too, where it could be added on later. That I think at least has a little bit more merit because I think it's fairly common for at some point to be like, we need a rich text editor. Um, but those are the kinds of things that I would probably push off. And it's not a best practice either. Meaning I think it's smart that it has active record by default and chooses a database for you because it's best practice to just use active record, right? And you're going to have the best time using active record because that's what everyone uses. So including that makes sense. But, but yeah, something like action mailbox is like, what's the benefit in including it? Yeah. Just because the majority of people who are writing applications, they'll never need that inbound email exactly. feature as opposed mm -hmm. to your example of authentication, like probably the majority of applications people are building will have authentication in them. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something that's hard to add, meaning um, it touches so many parts of your application. And because we are generating stuff, it's not easy to add after the fact, but stuff that is easy to add and easy to remove that another criteria is how easy is it to remove it mm. so we include a few default css styles but super easy to remove it's basically like you go to your application.css it's like delete everything below this line you delete it and it's like you're done but it's nice because it makes it look decent and not like a horrific ugly <laughs> thing when you start your app right but it's easy to remove. And so that's mm -hmm. something, for example, that we also include by default. That's also, I think, the distinction between something that's generated code and or configuration that the user can see. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think your setup scripts and your system check scripts, one of the things that makes those kind of more straightforward is the fact that they are in your code base and they're, they're bash scripts, right? So yeah. If you want to modify it or you want to remove it, they're, they're kind of right there. Whereas something like a action text or action mailbox is probably in like the Rails gem, right? It's in the library. So you don't even see it in your code base. I, I guess that would be the distinction there maybe. Yeah, or you might, but you don't know why it's there <laughs> or what it does. Or another concern is how many things does it hook into? So for example, one of the big things is, like I said, de default styles. How many places does that hook into things? Mm -hmm. Just one. You right. go to your, your main CSS file and delete it. But there's a way to do that that I don't particularly like. I've seen some people, for example, uh, use Bootstrap or any framework. It doesn't matter what it is. The problem with those is it also modifies the generated HTML and the scaffold. Mm -hmm. Because by default, it's adding classes like column three, medium, button, blah, 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 blah. If you don't want to use Bootstrap, you have to remove Bootstrap and manually go through all of the generated HTML files to remove the Bootstrap classes. And so that's like a key difference, too, is how easy is it to remove? And we really want to only add things that are easy to remove or really hard to add. What what is the uh, adoption of Lucky look like? Do you know of people using it in production currently? Yeah, I don't have exact numbers, which I think is good because it re reduces anxiety a lot, not knowing. And it's like, is it going up? Is it going down? But people are using it in production a lot from the very early days of Crystal. One of our core 
team members, um, Jeremy, he's been using it at work for two and a half, three years. And they've had great success with it. They replaced some of their Rails microservices with Lucky. Uh, originally for the performance boost. And I think this is common. They stay for all the nice type safety and the reliability they get. Um, it's hard to explain with just words. But then you use it and you see an error and we try and make them nice. Not all of them are. But we try and make it nice. People go, oh, this is nice. Or people are annoyed that they see this compiler error and then realize, oh, wait, actually it did catch a bug. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they're having great success. Um, big performance boost, like something like they reduced their number of servers by like 70%, and their response times got cut down 60 or 70%. So, yeah, they're having great success. And then a few other people are building client projects using Lucky. I don't know what they are. Some people, uh, it's just not, a, they can't say to the public, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But yeah, people are using it in production, which is really exciting. Looking at the Crystal community, what does that look like? You know, is it pretty active? What are your thoughts on the community? Yeah, it's quite active. Um, they've got sponsors, quite, quite a few corporate sponsors. So they're making decent money to help fund development. They're aiming for 1.0. I don't know exactly when, but they did a blog post um, saying it's going to be soon. And I've talked to them in person about it, but I don't know how much you know, I'm supposed to say. But soon, um, which is fantastic because then you're not going to have to deal with the breaking changes, which have definitely been happening the last two years. And I think it's good because the language is improving and changing things. But once 1.0 hits, people are going to be able to jump in and they're not going to have to update their apps every three months or whatever. But yeah, a lot of participation. And the sponsorship money goes a long way. A lot of the development is based in Argentina, and the dollar is super strong over there. So meaning if you've got corporate sponsorship in dollars over here, that, that goes a really long way towards development. Um, and they're all super nice. I've talked to a lot of them in person. Um, super nice, super smart guys. The community itself in terms of forums and chats that's where I'm a little hesitant. It's it's active, but I think not particularly welcoming for newcomers. Just really strong personalities. Very smart, but very strong personalities. And I would say it may be better to come to the lucky chat rooms. We're very strict about our code of conduct and not about nitpicky things, but just in general that, you know, you talk to people with respect and empathize and we're not the type of people where you come with a question and we're like, well, did you Google it? Um, we're going to try and help you. And so I think it's a very welcoming community. And even if you're not using Lucky, feel free to hop on our chat room. If you go to the Lucky website, there's a link. And uh, yeah, we're pretty nice over there. So things are moving forward. We're trying to, to get to 1.0 around the same time as Crystal. Uh, maybe a little after, but I think that'll be a, a big milestone. It's it's interesting talking about the community because I think when you think about Ruby, one of the big parts that attracts people is not just the language or the framework, but it's, you know, having an inclusive community, having people that are really friendly. So it's good to hear that lucky you're striving to do that. Like, why is there that divide? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, part of it is I am a sensitive person. And so I... 
I'm kind of trying to create the community that I want, which may be actually way more upbeat and positive just because I want new people to feel comfortable. And I think maybe part of it is with Crystal, they don't have that much time, I think, is part of it. And so it's easier to brush stuff off. Some of it could be just that they don't care about the same things that I personally do. There's nothing actively bad going on. It's just I prefer things rather than to just be okay Mm -hmm. or average. I want it to be exceptional right? and a place where it's just like, don't worry. You can say something. If it's you feel it's dumb, we're not going to be like pile on. Mm-hmm. We're going to be like, hey, it's fine, and here's maybe an alternative. So yeah, I mean, go to the crystal rooms. I still do. I still get help. There's a lot of really sm- smart people. Um, you just got to put on like a little thicker skin and be prepared for like, why do you want to do this? Have mm-hmm. you tried this other thing? Have you done this other thing? In a way, it's a good thing because they're making sure that like you've tried your different options and you're not just asking to do something that's a horrible idea, but it can make people, I think, feel like their idea is getting attacked or whatever. Um, So that's what I mean by part of it is just like, if you're sensitive, Mm -hmm. that's going to come off as probably harsher than it was intended. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can still get a lot of help. Yeah. I guess it's just trying to find the right level of, yeah, I don't know what the word would be, but yeah, making people feel comfortable. Yeah, I do have a really high bar for that because, like, I am sensitive, and I gr- when I learned to program all online with books and with forums, and I remember how hard it was as a new developer that didn't know best practices, and people would be like, "Why are you even trying to do that? It's mm-hmm. so stupid." And it's like, dude, I've been programming for like six months. Calm down. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's common. I think I mean that happened in the Ruby forums. Mm-hmm. It happened in the Rails forums. Mm-hmm. It's a common thing, I think, across the internet and various communities. So it may not even be that Crystal is particularly bad. Mm -hmm. It's probably a lot like most communities, but we just want ours to be exceptional in terms of making people feel welcome. And, you know, if someone has a bad idea, and I air quotes bad because maybe it's a great idea and we just don't have the context. But if it is a bad idea, we're not just saying, why are you doing that, blah, blah, blah. First, let's help you solve your problem and then talk about how might this be better. Maybe there's a better way to do it. And it just feels a lot better. People are more accepting, too, uh, of your feedback when you're not just immediately jumping on them and say, why are you even trying to do that? And so I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably applies to really all projects, right? Like they could all kind of stand to learn from some of that and kind of see it from the other person's perspective who doesn't have sort of all the the same knowledge that you know you've been building up and maybe they can bring you a new perspective as well that you didn't you didn't even think about yeah yeah totally i mean we've changed stuff in lucky a lot of stuff that i was pretty sure about and they asked if it could be done differently shared their use case and it's like oh yeah i made a mistake and so it's good for everyone. Like if you show a little bit of vulnerability and openness, you're much more likely to learn and you're much more likely to learn new and novel things because the people with the strongest opinions are often the ones that have that opinion based on some principle they read about or a talk or something else. It's the quiet people that are like, hey, 
can we try doing this like a little differently? And you're like, whoa, I've never thought of this because no one else has. But you're new. You came up with this great new innovative idea and you felt comfortable sharing because we're not just shooting people down constantly. And so, yeah, I wish more communities did that in general because it's mutually beneficial. That's kind of a good place to start wrapping up. But where should people go if they want to learn more about Lucky? First place, luckyframework.org. That's the main website. It has guides. It has blog posts that you can follow or subscribe to with new announcements. Uh, And it has a link to our chat room as well as the GitHub. So that's where I'd go. Feel free to hop on the chat room anytime. Um, We're all really helpful and try and be nice. And so like people shouldn't hesitate to run in there if they have problems. Um, If there's stuff that's confusing, feel free to open an issue on Lucky. We have a tag that's like improve error experience. So we have dedicated stuff just to do that. Yeah. In fact, if you start a Lucky project and you get a compile time error when you first start or are fresh on a project, it says, hey, if you're still stuck, go to our chat room and ask for help. Everyone should feel free to do that. Very cool. And how can people follow you and see what you're up to? Paul C. Smith on Twitter. Probably the best way to do it right now. Maybe one day I'll have a blog or something, but right now it's Twitter. Cool. Well, uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it.